0: <laughs> hi everyone, this is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. I'm excited to have my guest and friend with me today, Lex Moshakis, who is the founder and CEO of Live Big, which Lex in a couple seconds we'll get into that, but I just want to say hi really quick. And you know, I started this interview series because I wanted to interview people who I admire, and uncover and explore some of their inspirational journeys and their journeys to enduring success. And my community knows, my followers know that I made five critical choices on my journey from what I consider the pit of despair to the peak of success. And so what I get to do is spend time with people like Lex and ask for her insights and wisdom and a little bit of lessons as it relates to these five choices on your journey so thank you for jumping on this right away as soon as i asked you to join me oh thank you for having me i feel like we've had so many
1: conversations about this that we could have just had on a podcast but now we're actually properly doing it so i'm so I happy to be here i
0: agree and like this is just <laughs> giving people a little bit of insight into our conversation so let's start out Tell our community a little bit more about you, and you'll just right away also tell us about Live Big because I want to get into that.
1: I'll start with Live Big because it is such a big part of my story and who I am. So what we do at Live Big is work with teenage girls on building confidence, resilience, and self-leadership skills. And that means like, yes, be a leader in the world. But to do that, you have to be a leader in your own life first and making choices that serve you. So that's what we do. We've been on that journey for about a year and a half now. And I feel so lucky to be on it. I know we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, this is the work that I'm meant to be doing. And so to see it come to fruition, to be growing a little business, to be working with amazing educators who care so much about their communities is just the most amazing, empowering work that I think anyone could do. So I feel very grateful to be doing it. I am based in San Francisco but grew up in Australia and I've had quite a windy path to get here both geographically and in terms of my career choices. Um, I consider myself very lucky to be in San Francisco. I love this city. I love to be outdoorsy and active. The Food here is amazing. I play Australian football, which I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen that. Which I don't think we've talked about this, but
0: no, we I haven't talked it. about this.
1: Okay, Australian football is like a blend of soccer, rugby, and American football. That's the best way I've found to describe it. So I've joined a team and I've been doing that recently. I play bass guitar. I've also recently joined a band. No one's paying. Lex, I
0: didn't even know these things about you. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I've been,
1: I picked it up in COVID. I actually did play in high school, but I picked it up again in COVID and I got really into it, met some amazing people. And we were like, we all want to play. Let's just play together. We found a band space now. We've got someone trying to book us a gig. Yeah. I need to, I need to bring you, bring you out to San Francisco. Yeah.
0: But no, but wait, did you start this when you were in Chicago? Did you start when you were in Chicago?
1: Um, New York, yes, I started, so I okay, I was in New York first. I started there, and it helped get me through some tough times in COVID and it's just become something that I love, so i I love
0: to to count music as one of the things that I do now, which is cool. It's amazing. Okay, all right, so let's get into this a little bit more. before we even yes. get into the five choices, yes, at least the five critical choices that I made. I want to get your insight on these. I know that we each have our own definition of success, and you and I are both very success driven. When we talk about creating enduring success, what does that mean to Lex?
1: You know, I remember when I I first moved to New York a while ago, and it was your typical, like, maxed out my credit cards, knew nobody, was living in a tiny bedroom, and I was trying to meet people. So I was going to all of these events that just seemed really cool to me. And they were often women in leadership or mental health driven or creative. And I I met so many people that I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, this person just has a glow to them. Like, what is that? And how do I get that? And I kept meeting these people and hearing more about what they did. And I think I eventually figured out, oh, they've they've got that glow because they're doing the thing that they are meant to be doing. You know, when you meet someone and they just so clearly are aligned in their purpose and the things that they do every day are just like, oh, that is you. That's what you're meant to be doing. Kind of like you I feel that way about you. And that clicked for me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's what it means to be successful. You know, it, it's not a metric or a amount or number of followers or any of that. It's just, am I doing the thing that lights me up and is ultimately in line with my purpose. And I think that's what enduring success is. Can you look back and say like, yes, the way that I'm spending my time, the things that I've committed myself to the cause that I'm working towards, I want my life to stand behind that. And I think when you can do that
0: and say that, I, I think you've found enduring success. I love it. Thank you. The first choice that I made on my journey to enduring success, uh, was to pick up the phone when my sister called. You know this story. We're not going to get into it. But to me, that was my first choice. And, And I consider that a first choice. And what I learned is that really success begins with making a first choice. Is there a first choice that in looking back on your journey, you would say, that was a first choice that impacted my way here 100
1: i remember where i was sitting what i was doing it's so vivid in my mind so growing up i was always told oh you'd be a good lawyer because i was articulate i liked to debate things i did well in all the writing subjects like oh you would be a good lawyer and i was like okay get to final year of high school. And it's like, well, I think I'd be a good lawyer. Everyone's told me law seems like a good field. I'm just going to go into it. And I did. And I did do really well in law school. And I made it to a big corporate law firm as like an intern. And at the end of that program, they only offered two full-time positions to the entire class of like 10 or 12 interns or something like that. And they offered it to me. And I remember when they called me to tell me I was sitting in a pancake restaurant randomly (laughs) with a good friend at the time and they were like congratulations we want you to come back this is so exciting and I remember just sitting there and feeling this sense of like dread and fear in my body of oh my god this cannot be my life like this is not who I am this is not what I want to do I found no real joy in the work it didn't feel like the mission that I wanted to be on, and I remember just saying, "Thank you so much, but I'm going to have to turn it down wow. and the woman on the other side was like, Oh, <laughs> she clearly clearly had never heard this before um, and you know, people in my life were like, What are you doing this you know this is this is a wild decision, but that was that was one of the first big moments in my life where I listened to this. Feeling that I had in myself, and the little voice that was like, "You don't want this. You want a different life. Take it." So the first choice I made was to to say no to something that I was good at, that I was told I should do, that society views as success, you know, in air quotes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I oh, that you
0: worked so hard to accomplish. But
1: I worked so hard for. I got all the way through law school. I have a law degree. I, you know, it's it's sitting there, but I I didn't use it in the traditional sense it's been super valuable in other ways but um no i decided to pivot and i think it's it's never ever too late in your life to do that but that is the very first moment where i was like no i'm going to make a decision for myself and that was that was my first big powerful life-changing choice
0: wow and i I don't know if this is fact or fiction. I believe in many cases, there's probably a lot of people who wouldn't follow their heart in that situation. You know, let me just do it and see what happens. Let me give it a try and give it a go. I can't let my parents down. I can't let my, whatever it is. I think it's astounding at such a young age, because I mean- it's not like you had decades of right that you made you were 23 I would have been about 23 yeah that you made that choice do you ever sit with the fact that you that you did that I have played out what my life would have
1: looked like if I had said yes so many times and it would look completely different and not wrong or bad just not for me you know I have so many friends who love what they're doing have been hugely successful in law um they are talented and living amazing lives that are right for them but when I look at what my journey has been where I am now I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world despite you know, plenty of challenges along the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes I do sit with that and I, I try and intentionally feel quite grateful to myself and my younger self who wasn't so good at making those sorts of choices Mm. at that point for being brave and taking a risk. And it's,
0: it's paid off. Yeah. It's paid off. And I just want to think about your young self for a minute, especially because you coach and inspire and lead. Other young selves and the people who influence and coach and lead other young selves, teachers, guidance, counselors, academic professionals. When you put yourself in the young self shoes, why is it so hard to make first choices?
1: I think it can be very easy to feel like your choices are made for you. And in a lot of ways, as kids, they are, you know, you maybe have guardians who are telling you what to do. You are a part of an education system that tells you where to be and at what time and sometimes how to dress and, you know, how you need to spend your time. So you get really used to following a system where you have some choices made for you and you very clearly know what to do. But we don't spend enough time helping our kids figure out what's the right choice for me. And one of the things we talk about with the girls we work with is, yes, you have to listen to guardians. You're not an adult yet. You have to go to school, but you always have a choice in how you respond and how you take care of yourself. How can we figure that out together? And that's always a penny drop moment for these girls because i think they're so used to listening to society tell them what they should be doing and how they should behave and how they should dress and you know how they should show up in the world to be air quotes accepted by society um so to hear this like oh i can choose some of this stuff for me is both daunting And I think really exciting and empowering. And I I read, you know, the feedback from girls after, I I hear the stories that they tell me, I listen to their amazing, Mm. profound insights. Like these kids are brilliant. When we give them the space to actually reflect on this stuff, to think about themselves, they are just amazing. It's, you would think years of years of therapy, but they just, you know, when you give them the space, like they wanna have these conversations. So I'm maybe going off on a tangent a little no, bit. No, you're
0: not. This is
1: The more we can give young people the opportunity to make a choice for themselves and to learn that that choice is okay and it's theirs and they yeah. can own it, I think the better our world will be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The second critical choice that I made was to commit to a two-way agreement. And so if the first choice was to pick up the phone, which is actually make it a first choice, the second choice was to commit to a two-way agreement. And that agreement was with my sister and her husband. Yeah. And when I think about two-way agreements, I think about the construct. I even think about this with the work that you're doing with, with the girls and with, with children, because I know it's not just girls, it's boys too. So I want to be clear yeah. about that. Yeah. Is that a two-way agreement is when two parties come together with the intent to achieve a mutually beneficial objective. Like, I'm in this for you, you're in this for me, we're in this for a positive outcome together. And we hold each other accountable and whatever it might be. And I think we all enter into two-way agreements all the time. The power isn't committing to it. Yeah. Is there a two-way agreement or what is a two-way agreement that you would say, I entered into this agreement and through the commitment, you know, okay, this is what I gave and this is what I got. So just tell us about a two-way agreement. In
1: preparation for this conversation, this was the one that I, I spent the most time thinking about and felt a little stuck. I think because of something that you just pointed out, which is I'm so used to making two-way agreements in, you know, we, we have them all the time. I can think of my husband is an obvious Mm -hmm. one. We've committed to being in each other's lives for as long as that serves us to do so. Um, Really profound ones for me, especially in my younger years were the teams that I joined um, and just being able to be a part of something and knowing that that something required me. I was a part of the rowing squad in high school. Rowing was my sport. And the boat literally doesn't go straight if you don't show up. <laughs> and it was the most profound lesson And oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show up for these people. Um, and it served me so well in terms of learning about life skills and different ways of operating within a community and being able to contribute to it. What I thought about, though, and I hope it's okay that I'm taking this question in this direction. What I thought about was how if there's a two-way agreement and someone else is holding me accountable and I owe something to someone else, I'm pretty good about it. I don't want to let other people down. There is something inherent in me, and maybe this is the way that young girls in particular are conditioned to, like, Mm -hmm. please the people around them and to make them feel comfortable. I really have that tendency, and so... If I make a commitment to someone, it doesn't matter what stands in my way, I will follow through because I do not want to let that person down and I do not want to be seen as someone who um, can't do the things that I say I'm going to do. Actually, where I struggle more is when I make a commitment to myself Mm. and I... I thought about, you know, this idea of it being two ways and I, I, I got quite philosophically into this, Trish, as you can see. I want like, keep going. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is the version of me that is connected to myself and wants these really big things and is clear on her mission in the world and her purpose. And there is a version of me that also is more afraid and trying to unravel a lot of patterns in my life and who um, has a harder time doing things like meeting new people or, you know, going to a conference without knowing anyone. I have like these two versions of myself and what I am, the work that I'm trying to do and and what I think we're ultimately trying to help girls do as well is, is reconcile those two versions and make them friends so that we can work together because we all have that love driven aspiration driven mission driven side of us and we all have the side that is maybe a little more wounded and afraid and it's trying to keep us small so I think about that two-way agreement between myself and starting live big is the most profound two-way agreement in my life because it's it's that old not old it's still there that fear driven and that love and mission-driven version of myself. I can't tell you how much time I spent thinking about that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know I, I maybe took it a, a slightly different way, but um, both versions matter. Both versions are important, but we can we can make agreements with ourselves in that way, I think.
0: And those can be the hardest ones to commit to. Yes, that's that's definitely been my experience. Yeah. And has there, when you think about, because I, I do want to just keep going with the commitment to yourself, the two versions, because yeah. I totally feel what you were saying yeah. completely. And I think probably a, a lot of, especially as you were saying, a lot of girls do. Has there been a time in which you, you have committed to yourself because you know, you need to. And then perhaps your actions start out as, I have to do this, but then through the commitment to yourself, has it ever transcended to, I want to do this. So I have to do these things to care for that maybe fear or vulnerable or more um, wounded side, but then it transcends to, I want to, has there been a journey like that at all? Yes, because I think what's happening
1: for me personally and and probably for lots of people is I, I'm in the I have to mindset and I logically understand why I have to do something and then I do it and I realise, oh, that wasn't so bad. That was okay. I'm good. I'm going to do more of that. And, and so it's like <laughs> so deep and philosophical. But it's like the two yeah. versions of myself are no longer battling so much as they were maybe a little while ago because I think I've gotten to the point of I want to do this Mm -hmm. and I I understand um, why it's helpful for me so yes it's like it starts with I have to it starts with a bit of a struggle and I have to constantly remind myself of why I'm doing it and then pull it off not so bad this is okay
0: oh yeah let's keep doing this so, yes. And then the two are Absolutely. more in sync, more in line, more cohesive, and probably elevating each other too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm going to take us to the third choice. Okay. The third critical choice that I made on the journey was to build trust in myself and then inspire the trust of others. Yeah. And for. For me at that time, I didn't know, I, you know, recovering drug addict, I, you know, I was a liar. I was, a, you know, I was all those, all those things. I lied. I held on to shame. I didn't know that I could ever trust myself, let alone inspire the trust of others, but whoa, I figured it out and I, and I did it. It's probably one of the most, one of the things that I'm the most proud of. So when I think about your journey and when you think about your journey, first up, was there ever a time that you didn't trust yourself, that, that perhaps you had to build more trust in yourself and then we'll get into the trust of others, but how do you build trust in yourself? I didn't trust myself
1: for a really long time. Um there was an experience I had as a teenager that I've I've probably shared with you. I share this a little bit in my work with girls, but, you know, I was, I was having a tough time. My, my parents divorced. There was a lot of fighting sort of moving around, um, you know, like back and forth between different parents' Mm -hmm. houses, really lent on my friends for support and got that support from them. But I, I had an experience where I got my first, like, sort of real serious boyfriend. And he ended up cheating on me with my best friend. And I look back on that time now and I, I, no one was trying to harm me. It actually had nothing to do with me, what their actions were. But I remember just feeling like it was all my fault. And this happened to me because of me, because I wasn't good enough, because I wasn't a good enough friend. I wasn't cool enough. I wasn't worth being friends with and i i went through the later part of my teenage years with just this feeling of like where do i belong here like what is it that i bring to the table who am i like what all these really big feelings of just like i wasn't enough i'm not worthwhile and that really it stayed with me um still has stayed with me in some ways when you like leave your teenage years you go into your 20s with those sorts of sentiments about yourself yeah it was it was really hard to and I think that's why I'm so proud of the law firm moment because it was the first time where I really did like trust myself to make a decision that was right for me because I hadn't ever trusted myself in that way before And I I came out of my teenage years knowing that I wanted to work with teenage girls because of what I had experienced and how low I had felt, despite the fact that, you know, I grew up in a very privileged, loving home. I had a great education. Like, it doesn't get much luckier than what my experience was. And I struggled with it a lot. Um... And so you know the the turning down the law firm was was one of the first moments of trusting myself, even though I, I probably couldn't have articulated it at the time. But then starting live big was the ultimate because it had been my dream. Like I have been on this quest for so long. And I think had I trusted myself more earlier, would I have maybe studied psychology and done something more aligned to this sooner? absolutely but at the same time I I don't regret it I just appreciate how long Mm -hmm. it took me to get to a place of you're okay you can do this like figure this out you're going to be great but yeah it was it was a tough road to get there for sure
0: um I have a couple things that just popped in my mind through this conversation (laughs) one is gonna so one is I'm gonna send you um this podcast is just a quick 20-minute, but a, a colleague of mine, Martin G. Moore, he's a fellow Australian. Now, he's here in the U.S. from Boston, but he's a fellow Australian, and uh, he is in his 60s now, and he talks about his experience with leadership, and, w- and what I just listened to him say is his accumulation of choices. Yeah. You know, w- when he it, it was all about hindsight you know, and maturity and looking back, because when you look back, would you have made a different choice? Maybe, but if you did, you were a different person and it's the accumulation of choices throughout our journeys. It it was like right now, right here, when you made that decision in that pancake shop, which I think is huge, (laughs) huge to make the decision to follow your heart and not accept that position you know but everything led you to there yeah and then you know and then from there okay anyway that popped in my mind um yeah because
1: like I wouldn't change anything for the world
0: but also someone
1: who knew like what you wanted to do you would think I would have put myself on a different path but I didn't because of all that fear
0: so yes that resonates with me completely when you're working, when your company, when Live Big is working with girls and, and those who help and influence girls, do you talk about building trust? Are there conversations that get into with the girls about how they build trust in themselves? Do you ever hear anything from them?
1: Yeah, we talk about it a lot. We we talk about it in the context of making choices that serve us. And the more that we can listen to that and do that, the bigger our life can be yeah and I think that in and of itself is like an eye-opening powerful moment for girls because they realize that they do have choice and they they can make them and trust themselves to do it we also spend a lot of time talking about what we call the voice of small which is that voice in your mind that's responsible for all of the negative self-talk that every single one of us has and I bring that up because Girls are so used to hearing that voice. And because they hear it so often, they believe it. They believe it to be true. And so we do a lot of work around understanding what is that voice of small? Why is it there? And it's, it's just there because it's trying to protect us from pain. It's a fear-driven voice. But then we help them do the work of like, okay, now let's reframe some of what you're hearing into a big belief, a belief that actually serves you. And we do this work and I always ask, okay, so which is more true? The belief that you hold, that the voice of small is speaking from, the limiting belief or the big belief? And I think about it and they're always like, oh, the big belief. I'm like, yes, why is that? I'm like, oh, because it's the one I chose. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. It's more true because it's the one you chose. So constantly throughout the programs, we're trying to reinforce this idea of, Like what is true is what you choose for yourself, what you choose to believe, and whatever that means for you, it's always different. And you can trust that. You can act on it. That is yours. You've chosen it for yourself. Trust it and move from that place. And we see girls make some really powerful choices around the beliefs that they want to carry with them into
0: their lives. Beautiful. I love the work that you're doing. Oh. All right. Because I know um, people follow you and watch you and are inspired by you and learn from you. How do people? How do people earn your trust? My trust? Yeah.
1: You be in it for the right reasons. Now that I'm in education, I. I can see I meet so many amazing people who are truly there, who have spent their entire career in education for the kids. I meet those people every day. I also meet people who are not in it for the kids. They're in it for the business reasons. They're in it for whatever reasons. Um, and I can, I can tell who those are pretty quickly. But I also meet amazing people who hear what we do and they're like, oh, how can I help you? I can't tell you how many advisors who are just incredible in their fields have come to us and said, oh, tell me how I can help. And they mean it because they see the work that we're doing. They see the crisis that girls are in. It is a mental health crisis like we've never seen. They are struggling in so many ways and they know that. And so when I can tell that they are driven by supporting the kids in their communities, that's when I trust them.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, a couple of things that you have said are leading me straight to the fourth critical choice. Mm-hmm. So, you talked about your sense of belonging, and then you've also talked about creating community amongst yeah. teams and, and team members, and the community you're creating within LiftBig. So, the fourth critical choice I made was to create community and belonging. I think I was in my 30s. We have talked about this, and I looked around and and, and I was friendly with everyone, but I was friends with no one. I still didn't feel like I belonged. And I think we, especially girls sometimes, hold on to that feeling of not belonging. Mm -hmm. So I know, because you just shared with us, that you, there have been times where you didn't feel like you belonged. How does it feel to not belong? And then if you want to share specifically one of those times, please do. But how does it feel not to belong? Yeah. It doesn't feel safe. You,
1: I mean, we're, we're social creatures. We're meant to be in a community. That's what safety is for us, I think, in so many ways. And if you feel like you don't belong, you can't just be. You cannot put your guard down. You are on high alert. You are not able to exist without your defenses up. Because you're constantly scanning, okay, how do I fit in here? What do I say to this group? What am I doing or not doing that I should be? You're constantly trying to analyze how do I fit myself into this puzzle? How can I be the right puzzle piece? And if that's your mindset or if that's what's going through your mind and your body, because there's a real physiological response, like we've probably all felt Nervous walking up to people for the first time. Maybe your hands are a little bit jittery and you have to hold a drink to go and introduce yourself or whatever it might be. We feel it in our bodies too. That's what not belonging is. And that's really sad because as a human being, if you can't be at rest because you feel accepted, you can't learn, you can't explore, you can't be curious. And I think we have so many people in our world today who are desperate for a sense of belonging because they feel like they don't have it. They are on high alert and they're operating from that place of fear. And I, I think that's, that's sad. Like that's the saddest thing in the world. And I think it's the cause of so many of our, of our challenges in society
0: today. Totally agree. And there's something that, that you said even earlier on when you were reflecting on your, um, growing up in, in high school and, and and having all the things you know that you might need and want as a as a child yet you still experienced this feeling of not belonging d- during that time and so i think it's important that everybody recognize what you just said it which is ev anyone and everyone has felt like that they have not belonged it doesn't yeah matter what they have and what they don't have some have experienced that in a a much greater magnitude than others. But, you know, sometimes I try to think about what can we do? What can we do to help the other person feel a sense of belonging, you know, in just our interactions or whatever that might be? How does it feel to belong?
1: I mean, the the literal opposite of what I said, I suppose, which it, it feels safe. It feels safe at like a deep core physiological level. You can just be, you can experience love in that place. You know, I I, I was very lucky to hear Dr. Bernice King at a conference recently um, in Atlanta, and she was speaking to a room full of counsellors and like 5,000 counsellors talking about the importance of the children that we serve, knowing that we love them because that might be the only place that they get to experience love and to literally be able to say to those kids, I love you. And noticing how few people actually use those words, I love you, and that could transform a kid's life, you know, to be able to to feel like they belong somewhere, that they are accepted wholeheartedly for who they are, and why that, I, I think that's so important with kids is we have so many labels for behaviour today and I'm sure you experienced this growing up. You know, you are the naughty child. You are the oh, quiet yeah. child. You don't participate in class. You, you know, we have how many kids in the juvenile system? They are not bad kids. They have had things happen to them in their lives. They have adopted these behaviours that once helped them to survive It's now longer serving them, but how are those kids going to feel a sense of belonging if they don't feel like they can be loved by anyone? And so the need for, for all of us in society, but I think especially if we reach children is to have every single kid that we touch, know that we see them, that we value them, that they are safe with us, no matter what their behavior is. And like I've been challenged in so many different ways in these workshops, but I always try and come from a place of you're accepted here. You belong here. I see you like it's okay. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I think about all of the kids who feel like they don't belong and what it means for their future to have that really felt sense of not belonging at such a young age and The opportunity that we all have as adults, as educators, as people in their lives to give them that, even if it's brief, that moment of you belong in this classroom or you belong in this workshop today. You were meant to be here. And
0: I'm so glad that you are here. Yeah. So this leads me finally to the fifth critical choice, because for me, it was a 25 year journey from the first choice I made of picking up the phone to finally the fifth critical choice was to... Choose to embrace my boundless capacity to love, to give all of my love as a verb, as a verb, the manifestation of love as an action, and to receive what you were talking about, receive someone else's love that they have for me. So I just want to talk and get your perspective here a little bit about the idea of boundless love, giving love. The verb, you know, is there a time in which that you could reflect on and say, I gave all of my love and this is what it felt like. No withholding. No. No guarding. This entire
1: journey of live big has been that experience for me. I, I've given everything that I have to give um, to get us to this point today. I remember being in a workshop recently with some sixth graders and a group of 10 or 12 girls, they were super dysregulated. Um, They were very externalising in that dysregulation so they were not wanting to sit still they were talking these girls would fight each other that was part of why I was there there was a lot of physical fighting within this group and I was talking through this idea of confidence and one of them sniggers and turns to a friend and goes and I hope it's okay that I say this on your podcast (laughs) she goes oh this bitch archaic and I remember I first thought being like, okay, that's a really interesting use of <laughs> the word, okay. okay. Yes. I was kind of like, oh, haven't heard that word before. Okay. Yeah. And I remember feeling, you know, it doesn't matter who's laughing at you. If you're standing in front of a group of people, it doesn't matter if they are three years old, 30 years old, 60 years old, like you feel in your body this, oh, I'm not being accepted here. I don't belong mm-hmm. here. And you have that reaction of challenge. And so I was faced with that choice of, what do I do here? Like, I don't want to discipline her. That doesn't feel right. You know, the rest of the group is like laughing at me. And I, I took a breath and I remember being like, this is her experience. She needs to challenge me. She has learned to challenge me as a part of her survival behavior. I com- have complete love and respect for that. Um, so in that moment, I was, I just looked at her and I was like, I don't think it's okay. Let's talk about it a little bit. And I remember seeing her face of like, oh, she wasn't expecting to be accepted in that moment by me. She wasn't expecting to be valuable and contributing to the group in that moment. She was expecting to be disrupted and probably to be sent out or to be told off or whatever. And so I try and think about those moments every single time as like, this is hard for me personally. And it is the best opportunity that I have to show these girls that I love them, that I am here for them no matter what. They can push me in all different kinds of ways. They do. And I'm going to have my own reaction to it, but I will work through that and show them that they are welcome in this community and that they matter and that everything they say and do is important. And so we we have our mindsets that we go in with. Um, to all of our workshops but the biggest one is like she is right where she needs to be and it's welcome here and we are just so
0: glad to have her here that is a beautiful story that clearly articulates the manifestation of giving love yeah in that moment because people ask a lot like what does it mean what does it mean to give love and I think it manifests itself differently for different people in different yes. ways in different environments. So if, Oh my gosh, if just one more person in her life, just one more person in her life showed up with the intent, you know, and I, I don't want to just focus on yeah. her, but if us as Represent human beings, yes. System. yeah, If so we many- just showed up with the intent in this interaction to To give and to receive. Yes. And to receive love, right? She had to receive it. And she chose in that moment to receive what you gave her. And that is the power of that moment. You chose to give. She chose to receive. And then it probably changed the whole dynamic of the experience. And I believe with my whole heart, with my whole heart, that... Each of us and every single person that you interact with around your world and around my world, we each can achieve enduring success and fuel the success of others when we choose, when we choose to give and to receive. And, Lex, thank you for just choosing to give with me today and always receiving and the work that you are doing before we wrap up, because I totally kept you way longer than I said I was going to, is there is there one more thing or one message or one little nugget that you would share? If you have a child in your life,
1: tell them that you love them. And obviously for your, well, not obviously, but do that for your own kids. But even if they're not your kids and you know they're struggling or you know that maybe they need a little bit of support like make sure you leave that interaction with them knowing that they matter and that they are loved we can all all do that yes where can people find live big we are on linkedin our website is a little bit of a different one maybe we need to change this but it's livebig.community yes right now it's livebig.community livebig.community. You can reach out directly to me. You can reach out directly to my business partner, Brian Miller. We will talk about this stuff all day long with anybody. So whomever you are, we are always down to have a conversation with you. Um, So connect. We'd love to chat.
0: You're awesome. Lex, thank you. And everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Choose and Become interview series. I am always just inspired by my guests, but Lex, specifically the work that you're doing for those around you, I just, I just want you to put me in your pocket. I just want you <laughs> oh, to put me in your pocket. Oh my God, the girls yeah, would love anytime, anytime. Can figure that Anytime. We'll do some yeah. of
1: this. Time. All right, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Go to trishkendall.com backslash choose dash become dash interview dash series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me: trish at trishkendall.com.